Good morning, New Hope. Good morning. Well, I'm not Pastor Tim, but I am married to him. And I am on the teaching team, Nikki Broughton. It's so nice to see all of you this morning. We have um, just so many awesome things to celebrate today. Um, one is our awesome student ministry director, Isaac Franks. It is his birthday today. So on the count of three, let's say happy birthday, Isaac. One, two, three. Happy birthday, Isaac. Yay. We are so thankful for him. Thankful that he's on the team. Um, he means a big deal. In our, to our family, um, just uh, the things that, and thinking about the friendships that he has with our own boys. Uh, our youngest son, Luke, was having a bad day. Isaac came to our house, picked him up, hung out with him for a couple hours, brought him back, and Luke was a completely different person. Smile on his face. Thank you, Isaac, for what you invest. Uh, we took him to a baseball game last weekend. He sat right beside our middle son, Nat. Nat talked Isaac's ear off the entire baseball game, and Isaac just sat there and listened to him, and Nat said, at the best time. So thank you, Isaac. So Isaac, uh, he is who he says he is. He invests highly. He makes a difference in students' lives. He's made a difference in our students' lives, and we're very thankful for you. So thank you. Thank you for what you do. Another huge change is the drummer that you saw on the stage today. This is the very last time drumming for us at New Hope. He's been drumming for New Hope since he was a seventh grader, and he leaves for college this coming Friday. So we want to say thank you to Nat for all that you have done in investing in New Hope. So lots of changes of things happening, exciting stuff going around here. So lots of good things. Awesome stuff. All right, we have been in the middle of this awesome series in the book of Romans. I'm so excited to preach to you this morning as we continue that series. We're going to be in chapter 15, the uh, verses 1 through 13 this morning. Um, But throughout the series, we've been learning lots of memory verses, and we're focusing on Romans chapter 12, verse 1, and now we're focusing on Romans chapter 12, verse 2. So let's say this all together as a church. Should we go out loud? Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is wonderful how there's so many different themes in the book of Romans that repeat themselves over and over again. And we're going to see as we go into chapter 15 how uh, chapter 15 has to do with this verse right here about we're not going to conform to the patterns of this world. We're going to be transformed by the renewing of our mind and be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We're going to get to learn even more what that means this morning as we go into chapter 15. So as we prepare to go into chapter 15, Pastor Tim started this um, quite a long time ago. Uh, We're going to go ahead and turn to chapter 15. Whatever device you use, if you use a hard copy Bible like me, um, go ahead and get that to uh, Romans chapter 15. If you use... uh, a phone or some other kind of device, we're going to do that, and we're going to go ahead and stand up as a church in honor of God's word this morning as we read these verses together. I'm going to be reading from the NIV version. Here we go. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations. In him, the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. God, you have a word for every single one of us this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that as we study these verses together, this passage of scripture, Lord, may it transform us into your likeness. May all of us that is here receive what you want us to receive this morning, God. Let my words be few, let your words be many, God, that we might be able to learn what you want us to learn this morning. May you be glorified through it all. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you may be seated. So as we get started here this morning, we're going to look at um, Romans 15, 1 through 13, and we're going to reread right now verses 1 through 7 here together. Verses 1 through 7, I'm going to be breaking this up into three sections. The first section, I'm going to talk to you for a while. The second section, I'm going to talk to you for like a hot second. And then the third section, we're going to be going to be a while again, okay? But this first section is verses 1 through 7, and verses 1 through 7 has a common theme, and that common common theme is love. That common theme is loving one another. We who are strong ought to bear with the families of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbors for their good to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father our Lord, of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. If you have sermon notes in front of you this morning, we're going to start filling in these blanks. And this first blank is this. These verses are calling us to love and to live in unity with one another. These verses are calling us to love and to live in unity with one another. In Romans 15, 1, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Last week, Pastor Tim reminded us of something that we at New Hope called the discipleship wheel. The discipleship wheel is something that those of you that have been through growth track learned about. And then Pastor Tim reminds us of this discipleship wheel several times throughout the year. And in this discipleship wheel, all of us start here on the right-hand side, that we are spiritually dead. And then we come to know Jesus as our Savior. That's the salvation part. And then we are spiritual infants. We are ignorant about things because we're just learning. And then we are spiritual children. We are self-centered. 
weird. We're consumers. We're like, what, what's, are, do you have any programs that are for about me? Can you do different worship songs for me? Can you do these different things? And it's okay that you guys are there, those of you that are there, because all of us were there at one time. All of us were here. And then once, uh, once you continue to grow in the scriptures and your understanding, you get more discipled, you become a spiritual young adult. If you're more God-centered, you're starting to serve others. You're realizing this, this path of life isn't as much as about you as it is about God, and then we become spiritual parents. We have big godly people, BGPs, um, that, that those, those of us that are spiritual parents, are these, are these, we're more mature, we're mentoring others. Those who are strong, verse 1, ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Those who are strong, those of us that are on the left side of the spiritual discipleship wheel, are to bear with the failings of the weak. Those that are on the right side of the spiritual discipleship wheel, not to please ourselves, but to help everybody to grow. And there's a maturity that comes with being on this left side. There's a maturity that comes with being strong. One of my favorite theologians, Warren Wearsby, says this. He says, a, spirit, a person's spiritual maturity is revealed by his discernment. He is willing to give up his rights that others might be helped. He does this not as a burden, but as a blessing. Just as loving parents make sacrifices for their children, so the mature believer sacrifices to help younger Christians to grow in the faith. That's what all of us are called to do. In verse 1 here, it says, We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, not to please ourselves. Remembering that we all were over here at one point. And then those of us that have grown, that are strong in our faith, have now moved to the left-hand side. Wearsby said, True Christian love is not selfish. Rather, it seeks to share with others and make others happy. It is even willing to carry the younger Christians to help them along in their spiritual development. We do not endure them, we encourage them. I love that. We don't endure the feelings of the weak, we encourage them. Romans 15, 1, we who are strong ought to bear with the feelings of the weak and not to please ourselves. One of my favorite all-time authors is named Bob Goff, and he says this, the fact is, what skews my view of people who are sometimes hard to be around is that God is working on different things in their lives than he is working on in mine. That's important for us always to remember. God is working on different things in their life than he's working on in mine. God is working on all of us. All of us are still, God has to be at work with all of us. And sometimes it's easy for us to get selfish in our love for other people. It's hard always to always sacrifice our wants in order to live a life serving and loving others. However, in these verses in Romans, we see that we are not called to please ourselves, but rather to please others. We are called to sacrifice, which is a hard word, but who is the one that's calling us to sacrifice? It's Jesus. And Jesus knows a lot about sacrifice. No sacrifice we could ever make could ever match what Jesus has already done for us on the cross. He is the greatest example of love and sacrifice, and he is just asking us to follow his example. Jesus is saying to us, You see that person right there? I love them, and I'm asking you to love them too. And he's not only asking us to love them, he's also asking us to serve them. 
Now, do you ever have uh, reaching um, a Google article or watching the news and you see something? I love this when this happens, when I see that science has caught up with something that the Bible has already said. They're like, science has just figured out blah, blah, blah. And you're like, hmm, that's not new news. Like, I've been reading that in the Bible for a long time. I love it when that happens. When people who are not followers or followers of Jesus do a study on something, and the research shows that the Bible is right. And one of these research, research studies that has been done proves that people that serve others are healthier. It says this, the benefits of serving others include reducing feelings of loneliness and stress, as well as enhancing sense of community, increasing optimism, and increasing happiness. Huh. That's so weird. Like, I think I've read this in the Bible already. Like, you, wow, that's awesome. People who serve are healthier people. Isn't that amazing how God designed that? Um, there's a, one of the first ladies, the first lady, you know, is the wife of the President of the United States. There's a first lady um, named Barbara Bush, I'll just tell you what her name is, that I just really respect her. And I'm not about being a re Republican or a Democrat, and we're never going to talk about politics here on the stage, but like, I just really respect Barbara Bush. Um, she was the wife of George Bush I, who served in the White House for four years, and then she's the mother of George Bush II, who served in the White House for eight years. And I just found her life to be really fascinating and I've done a lot of study about her life and one thing that Barbara Bush said is this she said I can think of no better lesson to teach you than to try and oh boy how hard it is to always find the good in people and not the bad Barbara was fueled by compassion she lived to serve others and most often those in the most challenging of circumstances no matter how different another person's background, station in life, or perspective, Barbara valued and treated all as human peers. She was inclusive of everyone. And while she could be a tough lady at times, her nickname was the Enforcer. <laughs> while she could be a tough lady at times, I learned from her that everyone matters. No matter where you come from, no matter what level of education, position, background, everyone matters. I learned from her that no matter who you are or where you come from, people are people. And if you care about them enough, you can always find common ground. Barbara Bush said, any definition of a successful life must include service to others. I love that. Any definition of a successful life must include service to others. In the Bible, there's certain themes that come over and over again, and one of those themes is that Jesus always calls us to humility and servant leadership. He always calls us to humility and servant leadership. He was Barbara Bush, first lady in the White House, you know, ruler of the first world of all the government, married to this person. And what she said was, everybody is a peer. It doesn't matter if they're the people that work and clean in the White House or if this is a world leader from another country. The things I've studied about her showed that she treated everybody the same. It really didn't matter because people are people and everybody is equal in God's sight. If you think about all of us coming to the foot of the cross, all of us are the same amount of lostness. It really didn't matter what your title or your position was. Um, God has called us to humility, that we are no better than anybody else, that Jesus is first and we are all equal in his sight, and that God has called us to serve one another. We lead and we follow him by serving. 
and that's part of the love. Um, again, there's so many themes in the Bible that go over and over again, and another theme other than this, the humility and servanthood that God has called us to, is that um, is found in these first seven verses in Romans 15. And we see that in the, one of the common themes that's found in these first seven verses in Romans 15 is that God calls us to be students of his word, to be people of prayer, and understand that we are living for the glory of God. In Romans 15, 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. Everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. That's God's word. In Romans 15, 5 and 6, it says, So that with one mind and one voice you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was Paul who wrote the book of Romans. This was Paul's prayer for God's people. And in Romans 15, 7, it says, in order to bring praise to God. So this is talking about we do all of this in order to bring praise to God. We do all of this for God's glory. So when God's people get these three things right, when God's people get these things right, that we read our Bibles, that we spend time in prayer, and that we realize that we were created to give God glory, then we are going to be living in alignment to God's plan and to his purposes for our lives. You want to know what God wants you to do? Do this. Read your Bible. Pray. Understand that life is not about you, but it's about giving God glory, and you'll, you will be in alignment with God's plan for your life. Our motivation should never be about ourselves. Our motivation should be to give God glory, and we do that by spending time reading our Bibles and spending time in prayer. Um, this past summer, we led a vacation Bible school here at New Hope. We had over 90 kids come to that. So many of you in this room helped with that um, vacation Bible school experience. It was awesome. I had the opportunity to help co-lead one of the stations that we did here with those kids. And so what we would do is we divided the kids up into groups, and then those kids would rotate through the groups, um, going to the different stations throughout the day. Um, one time, uh, one of the days, we were uh, with those groups, and I was at that time with the third and fourth grade group, and one of the boys came up to me, and he just looked at me, and he said, what's the meaning of life? And without any flinching, I looked at him, and I went, to give God glory. And then he went like this, that's it. Somebody finally answered my question. Now I have an answer. <laughs> And I smiled at him, and, and I laughed at him. I said, yeah, the buddy, the Bible says that the meaning in life is to give God glory. We were created to worship God. That's the meaning of life. It's that simple. I know that most of us here would love for God to tell us, God, you know, like he's saying, what's the meaning of life? He's saying, what's, what's God's plan for me? And I know that a lot of us would love for God to say to you, especially if you're struggling right now with a decision that you have to make, of, God, why can't you just tell me? Why can't you just, like, use your voice and just tell me, this, this is what I want for you? And most of us don't get that audible plan from God for our lives. It's way better than that. Because God tells us we get to be God's plan for the whole world by pointing people towards him. That is God's plan for our lives. God's plan for our lives is that we understand that we are here for his glory. And we get to be a part of that plan by every person that encounters us. We point them back to the person of Jesus. 
that we get to be God's plan for the whole world by pointing people towards him. That's God's plan for our lives. And this is opposite in the me-first culture that we live in. Have you heard all this me-first culture stuff that's going on? Many people in this world live with a me-first approach to things. It's not about someone else's needs. It's about what I need and what I want. But our lives will never be about Jesus if we keep making everything about ourselves. We can either keep track of all of the good things we have done or all of the good things God has done, but only one is going to matter. You know, something to think about is that, I I read this quote and I like it. It says, we are all tied for first in God's mind. So see that person beside you? They're first in God's mind. They're looking at you. You're first in God's mind. We are all tied for first in God's mind. So if you think about it that way, there's no need to compete, and there's no reason for us to have a me-first culture. You are already first in God's mind. So you make him first, and he's going to make you first, and it's all going to work out. Then we are in alignment with God's will, and if we get these things right, spending time in God's word, being a person of prayer, understanding that this is not about us, this is about us living for God's glory, then we are going to be in alignment with God's will, and a whole lot more things will be aligned in our lives and will be easier and better for us. Okay, we're going to move on to the second section now, and this section is um, Romans 15, verses 8 through 12. Romans 15, verses 8 through 12 is that Jesus loves everyone and has a plan for everyone. In these verses, we are going to learn that Jesus loves everyone and that he has a plan for everyone. So we'll read these verses together. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed. And moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again, it says, rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will spring up, the one who will arise to rule over the nations, and in him the Gentiles will hope. This root of Jesse, then, is Jesus. So he's saying, Gentiles, I know that you don't think that you're God's chosen people. Those are the Jews. And a lot of us in here, probably most of us in here, were not born into the Jewish faith or born into the Jewish heritage. I was not, so that means I am a Gentile. It was said that, these, that if you were not born of the Jewish heritage, that you were not God's people. So at that time, these Gentiles did not have hope. They had no hope at all. And then Jesus came. And then he said, this root of Jesse, Jesus, is going to spring up, one who will rise to rule over the nations, and in, the, in him the Gentiles will hope. We see that word hope at the verse of, end of verse 12. And at one time, the Gentiles were without hope. It says this in um, Ephesians 2, 12 and 13 says, Remember that at the time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants and the promise. Without hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Praise God for that. Now the Gentiles have hope. 
Now, but now in Christ they have hope. Not only do believers have hope, but it, it, it says in this that they also have joy and peace and power. The Holy Spirit of God shares these blessings with them as they yield to him. So in these verses, we saw that Jesus loves everyone. This is not an exclusive-only club. This is a everyone is included, everyone can come, and that he has a plan for everyone, and that plan for everyone was bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. Just awesome stuff, really good stuff. Okay, now we're going to go into the last verse with this, and I'm going to be spending quite a bit of time on this verse here. So... Romans 15, 13 says this. this. is our last verse this morning, but we're going we're gonna to camp here for a little bit. It says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. This verse was Tim and my life verse for two years. Every beginning of every year, we'll choose a theme verse for a year. And we chose this um, verse um, a few years ago. And then the next year, we're like, what verse should we choose? And we're like, we still like this one. So for two years, this was kind of like our theme verse. And um, I love this verse. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the holy spirit this is an awesome verse to camp on so if you just need a verse of like i need a verse that's like my life verse for a little bit you can borrow this one it's okay you know you can you can use it too okay so let's let's start with this what's what is hope hope is confident expectation hope is confident expectation in romans 15 13 it says god of hope any hope the Christian has comes from God. Our hope is that confident expectation, not in ourselves, but in God. In Romans 5, 5, it says, And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The believer's hope is the confident expectation and blessed assurance of our future destiny and is based on God's love, which is revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. We can have hope because of the confident expectation of who Jesus is and knowing that our future is secure in him. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. It is the confident expectation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope cannot be conjured up by human effort. It is God's gift to us by his Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, 24 and 25, it says, For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. This hope, this hope, Jesus' hope, is how we were saved. It's it, and if hope that is seen is no hope at all because it's the confident expectation. It's the thing that hasn't happened yet. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for we, we, what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. That is the Christian faith that comes from a Holy Spirit-given hope that things will not always be this way. Who likes the promise that things are not always going to be this way? right? It's pretty awesome that we as Christ followers can have that hope. Things aren't always going to be this way. We have a secure future destiny with God himself. 
We have a secure future destiny with God himself. And it's because of this that we can live in hope. Jesus is going to come back. And he's going to change it all. So we can live in that hope. Isn't that awesome? It's such good news. In Psalm 27, 13, and 14, David talks about this hope. He says, I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So wait for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. Aren't these great verses? It's great verses. And it goes on to say, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. So who wants some peace this morning? <laughs> right? <laughs> who wants some peace this morning? Um, at New Hope, we've talked about peace before, and I've shared with you this um, circle of control thing, and I believe if we get this right, we have a lot more peace in our lives. So I'm going to share with you guys some circles, and somewhere, if you have um, room on your worship program and you have a pen, you can draw this drawing. Um, it's not really for you already there, so if you want to put it on there, you can totally put it on there, okay? But this is something that we've talked about this before, but it's been a long time, so if you haven't heard it yet, it's okay. You're going to hear it today, Okay. So this is actually not um, something that I came up with. This is a guy named Stephen Covey came up with this. He's the guy, if you've ever read Seven Habits for Highly Successful People, this is in that book, okay? And um, Stephen Covey came up with Seven Habits for Highly Successful People, and, and, and one of the habits he talks about the circle of control. And I believe that if we get this right, when I'm going to be teaching you guys this morning with this, it's going to help you to live a more peaceful life, okay? And so circle of control is this. There are things in all of our lives that we try to control, okay? So inside of the circle, think of all the things that you try to control, like the person in front of you in line at the grocery store, the person who is at the gas station, and they stay at the pump, and then they go in and buy their pack of gum, but, like, you want them to move their car to the parking spot because, like, you need to get gas too, but, like, they're not even there. You know that person? Okay, so that might be in your circle of control. Um, circle of control can be a family member, can be a coworker, can be any interaction that you have with any other human being on this planet can be in your circle of control, okay? So this is your circle, and this is all the things that are in your circle. And the thing about the circle of control is there's actually very few things that we can control in our lives. And so I can only control Nikki. And so if you're drawing this circle, what you will draw on this is that this, you would put your name on the center circle here, and on this outside circle are everybody else in your entire life. You want to start writing names? I don't know. It's going to take you a while. <laughs> Here's where we lack peace. The only thing that I can control is me. And that goes along with, I can't control Pastor Tim. I can't control my kids, Grace and Nat and Luke. I can't control the rest of my family. I can't control the people I interact with. I can't control any of those things. I can only control me. And I'm not in charge of what anybody else thinks, what anybody else says, or what anybody else does. And when I try to control those things, I'm only going to have a lack of peace. I'm only in control of me, and I can't control anything else. So if you look at the circle here, think of, I can only control me. And then this circle right here, that's the everything else. So what does God call us to do with the everything else? And this is new. I haven't taught on this one yet, okay? 
What, what God wants us to do with his everything else is cover it in another circle called the circle of grace. I'm in charge of me. What I think, what I do, how I act, what I say. What am I supposed to do with people that are outside of that circle? Not try to control them, but to love them. So this, I'm in charge of, me. Everything else, I'm just in charge of loving. I'm just in charge of loving them. And we call that the circle of grace. Everybody else is in the circle of grace. So you have you, you have everybody else, and you are covering you, give yourself the circle of grace, give yourself love, you and everybody else, you're covering them in that circle of grace. Now, what if I... What would I do if I spend all of my time, energy, and intention trying to control these things in the circle of no control? Will I feel peace? No, I'll, I'll be stressed out, trying to control things, feeling burdened, feeling the weight of it all. But if I focus on me, I will be a much more peaceful, peaceful person, right? Knowing that I can't control anything else. So my job is to be in charge of me, and to cover everybody else in the circle of grace. In James 2.13, it says, Mercy triumphs over judgment. Mercy triumphs over judgment. It's not our job to try to change anyone. We don't try to change anyone. We just need to love everyone. Bob Goff says this this way, When we draw a circle around the whole world like Grace did and say everybody is in, God's love gives us bigger identities than we used to have. With our newer, bigger identities, we can draw even bigger arcs around people's lives. We can start to see that our time here isn't meant to be spent forming opinions about the people we meet. It's an opportunity to draw the kind of circles around them that grace has drawn around us until everybody is on the inside. I love that quote. We are all on the inside of the circle of grace. So praise God for that. We are called to love each other, not change each other, but love each other. Um, it seems like about once a week, someone tries to push me off the road as I am driving. And I feel like this has gotten worse over the last couple of years. But it seems like about once a week, I'm in a lane driving, and then another person is in lane beside me driving, and all of a sudden they want to get in my lane without notice, and they don't notice that I'm there, and then I'm over here in the grass to avoid the accident. And I'm not joking, it's like once a week this is happening. And so I'm driving along, listening to my worship music, being prayerful, being awesome, and then all of a sudden, I'm like, I'm going to die, and I'm over here on the side of the road, right, as this person is happening. And so, like, what the world would say would be like, what on earth is going on? And so first minute you get, you'll be on social media, and you'll be like, I almost got hit by a crazy driver on the way to work, and put, like, an angry emoji face and stuff like that, right? So, like, this is what the world would want us to do. But what God is saying is something different when we look at this and we cover people in the circle of grace. So it's not about what would the world ask you to do, what would Jesus ask you to do? And I know Jesus, right? So I'm like, Jesus, what do you want me to do? And, I, and, and what, I, what, I, what I feel God's asking me to say is, look over at that guy. And of course, that guy's normally on his phone, not having paying attention. Look over at that guy. And what I hear what God whispered to me is, You can love that guy, Nikki. And like, you know what? You, you could pray for that guy right now. 
And that's how we get uh, for the glory of God, everybody's covered in the circle of grace kind of culture. We can love these people, right? God loves these people. We can love these people. We can pray for these people. What easily happens is that we can get so shaken up by the evil and ugly of others that it can shake up our whole day if we choose to let it shake up our whole day. Somebody that cuts you off while you're driving, someone that yelled at you at work, someone that you live with that disrespected you, those moments are hard, but they're just moments. So I have pre-decided, and maybe you guys can pre-decide too, that I'm not going to allow a three-second period of my day to ruin my whole day. And it might be a scary three seconds, and it may be a really hard three seconds, but I lived through it. And then you guys can live through it too. And, it, and then it's over. There are 86,400 seconds in a day. So don't let a three-second interaction ruin your joy and peace. A lot of times this has happened to me when I've received a text that was unwanted or I didn't really, I wish that I wouldn't have received that text at that time, right? And you have to decide. I pre-decided not to let this three-second interaction ruin my whole entire day. God loves this person. I can love this person. I can pray for this person. And then we cover it with grace and we move on right? That's what God has asked us to do. Bob Goff calls it his L-C-E. You can write that down. L-C-E. And it stands for this. Least creepiest explanation. <laughs> Least creepiest explanation. So you think about people that, you know, like, like me, trying to run me off the road. What's the least creepiest explanation that I can give that person? And so my L-C-E for that is, you know, maybe he didn't know. Like, I've been in lots of foreign countries, and people drive really crazy in foreign countries, and I bet his driver instructor lived in a foreign country, and so that's why this is happening. And so then I can just cover this in my circle of grace. I have my LCE. I prayed for the guy, and I move on, right? So just come up with the least creepiest explanation of why that could happen. And don't allow things that other people do, th things that are out of your circle of control, to steal your joy and peace. You can cover that person in your circle of grace. There's another quote that says this, I agree with the teacher who said, we could all learn from crayons. Some are sharp, some are pretty, some are dull, some have weird names, and all are different colors, but they all have to learn to live in the same box. We don't love God if we don't love the people he surrounds us with. That's good. All right, so we're going we're gonna to try to not fix everything, right, church? Right. We're not God. Trying to fix everything is not going to bring your peace, so we're just going to love others. God told us to love people, so let's love people, and let's let do God do his work through that love. Verse 13 says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy. We've talked about peace. Now we're going to talk about joy. So do you guys want joy in your life? You guys want peace in your life? Do you want joy in your life? Yes, so here's the secret for joy. Ready? Here it is. Jesus others you. This is the secret if you would like joy in your life. The secret if you would like joy in your life is always Jesus has to be first. If you get this flipped around and you put the Y up here, first of all, it makes a word that you can't say. So just don't do it. So 
But if you flip it around, it's not going to bring joy in your life. We can have a joy-filled life when we realize that life is not about us, but life is about to give God glory. So we put Jesus first. We spend time with him. We spend time with him in, our, in the Bible. We, we pray. We uh, spend time in community with other believers. And then the second thing that we do is realize that we are going to have joy in our life if we serve other people. So others have to come second if we're going to have joy. And then the last person is you. Now, you're in there. So don't ignore yourself, okay? This doesn't mean that you run yourself ragged so much to the point that you're not getting a good night's sleep, you're not eating healthy, that you're not taking care of your needs and things like that. God loves you, so you should take care of yourself, okay? You're in there, but Jesus comes first, and others come second, and you comes last. A couple of weeks ago, I had um, a fun procedure called a colonoscopy and an endoscopy. Ever, anybody else to prepare for one of those? You probably don't want to raise your hand because it's not very fun. Okay, so, um, so 10 years ago, I had a colonoscopy, and, um, and it, it, it wasn't a very good one. And so they wanted to redo it 10 years later, which is why I had it. So 10 years ago, I had a colonoscopy. And so um, when I went for my pre-surgery appointment a few weeks ago, I met with a surgeon who was going to be performing the, the different scopes. And she said to me, okay, I'm looking at your chart, and it describes that 10 years ago, your colon was torturous. That's the word on my, on my, on my thing. That she's reading the, the screen. Your, your colon was torturous. She said it was very um, twisted, and it was very hard for them to scope because of how unhealthy your colon was. So 10 years ago, I got a diagnosis called celiac disease. And so 10 years ago, we realized through that, that scope that I have an allergy to gluten. And so for 10 years, I've not eaten any gluten at all. And then when I went back and had my colonoscopy and endoscopy um, just a couple weeks ago, and then I went back for my post-surgery appointment, I said, am I still torturous? And she laughed, and she said, no, actually, you're completely healthy with no signs of disease, which is awesome, right? So for 10 years, my body's been healing. And so, and so I'm always going to have an allergy to gluten. If I were to start eating gluten again, I would go back to being torturous. So I don't want to be torturous, right? It's bad. <laughs> so I'm going like, to keep not eating gluten because my body doesn't know how to process it so that I, I can be healthy. And the thing is, I'm telling you about this medical procedure for a reason, I promise. The thing is, some of us choose to live torturous. Some of us, we'd go in and they'd look at our scans and they'd pull it up on the computer and they'd say, you're living torturous. And like we get a diagnosis and maybe that diagnosis is, you need to be like having Jesus first. Like when I meet with people one-on-one, -on -one, I'll ask them the question, like how's your time with Jesus been? We'll talk about that. Because if our time with Jesus has been good, then we're going to be healthy, right? And serving others, being the light of Jesus to this world, living into God's purpose and God's plan for your life, at your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, wherever God's planted you, are, are you doing that? Are you being healthy in this way? And are, are you taking care of yourself? Our bodies... And our souls 
were meant to put our hope in Jesus. Our bodies were meant to put our trust in Jesus and allow him to be our peace and joy. A healthy follower of Jesus lives with hope. A healthy follower of Jesus has joy, has peace, and puts their trust in Jesus. And if you choose to live this way, you won't be torturous anymore. You will be healthy. An unhealthy Nikki eats gluten and stresses out all the time. A healthy Nikki eats gluten-free and has her hope in Jesus. And I get to choose. Do I want to live my life in pain, or do I want to live my life in peace? It's my choice. If I go back to eating gluten, I will have a painful life. If I were to choose to not be reading my Bible, giving my anxious thoughts to God in prayer, living like all the parts of my life will never change, I will also live a painful life. Um, another quote from Barbara Bush says this, How you approach life will make a huge difference. Somebody once said, there are two kinds of people in the world. Those who wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Lord. Or those who wake up in the morning and say, good Lord, it's morning. <laughs> she says, make sure you are the former and not the latter. She says, you have two choices in your life. You can either like your life or you can choose not to like your life. I have chosen to like mine. There's so many things in this life, church, that it's your choice. It's your choice how you want to live your life and how you want to experience life. We have the hope in Jesus. We have that future expectation that he's going to come back. This is not always going to be this way. So we can live life for his glory knowing that it's not about us. It's about him. We can choose to put Jesus first, be in his word, spend time in prayer, serving others, and knowing that that is God's plan and that is God's purpose for all of our lives. Let's go ahead and pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for the good work that you have done. Thank you that your word tells us and instructs us how to live, Lord. We don't have to guess what the meaning of life is. We can know what the meaning of life is, God, and that is to give you glory. It's to spend our lives worshiping you. God, I pray that all of us that are here this morning, Lord, will put these things into practice, that we will make the choice that we are going to live life for your glory, that we're going to love other people, that we're going to serve other people, that we want to live in unity, that we want to live in a way that will glorify and honor you. I pray, that, Lord, if there's anybody here in this room that does not yet know you as their Savior, that their hope and their joy and their peace have not been placed in you yet, God, may today be their day. May they pray, Lord, just a simple prayer of asking you to forgive them for their sins, thanking you for their death, your sacrifice on the cross, and asking you to come in and be their Lord and Savior. And God, for those of us here that have already made that commitment, we've already made that decision, God, may we choose you. May we choose the things that are of you. May we choose not to live stressed out lives, but peaceful lives, God, for your glory. And we ask this in your name we pray. Amen.